the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome, uh, everybody. This is uh, part two of this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on The Tom Sumner Program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And uh, sitting in for Henry Hatter today to uh, tend to the right is... uh, Republican congressional candidate Earl Lackey. Earl, welcome back. Thanks for uh, being here this week. Thanks, Tom. And last but not least, political emeritus Woodrow Stanley. Always a treat when uh, Woodrow joins the roundtable. Welcome back, Wood. Thank you. It's always a treat to be here. Federal prosecutors considering sedition charges for rioters who stormed the U.S. Capitol are likely studying a 2010 case against Michigan residents who discussed starting a war with the government. Nine members of the Hatari uh, militia, a Christian anti-government group, were the last Americans to face federal sedition charges. Prosecutors alleged the group planned to kill police officers and overthrow the federal government, but the charges didn't stick. U.S. District Court Judge Victoria Roberts acquitted all members of sedition in 2012. Roberts determined prosecutors failed to show the Hatari militia had concrete plans to carry out an attack. Nearly a decade later, legal experts say federal prosecutors have better odds of proving rioters planned to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Federal law defines sedition as a conspiracy to overthrow the government, delay the execution of the law, or use force to seize U.S. property. Sedition is punishable by up to 20 years in prison. Matthew Schneider, 
A former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan said prosecutors don't need to prove rioters attempted a coup. Anyone who tried to stop the legal process of finalizing the presidential election could face sedition charges. Does it surprise or bother you that sedition case law points back to Michigan? <laughs> After that, what's happened here this past year, no. <laughs> I suspect we become the center of a lot of these things. <laughs> it does surprise me, uh, one sense. <laughs> I was surprised when I saw the when I saw the piece. Um, I didn't remember that particular case getting the kind of attention we've seen, you know, since uh, you know the the kidnap plot of. of against uh, Governor Whitmer and uh, certainly the um, events uh, on January 6th at the U.S. Capitol. Well, so many people have said that, you know, that Michigan, the storming of the Michigan Capitol was the dress rehearsal for January 6th. It uh, it may have been a, a practice run. You know, I, I, um, I just as a personal observation, I, I, I think that that um, the, um, uh, the the U.S. Um, uh, federal officials that are trying this should throw the biggest book uh, available uh, at at these folks because I I just believe that who's the uh, senator from I think from Wisconsin who made the statement that if this had been black lives matter and i hate to do this but 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 i but i have to that he would have felt threatened but because it was the folks who were involved by and large that he didn't yeah. feel threatened and I, I believe me there are people in this country who believe that there was a lot of chumminess going on uh, i personally believe that if it was black lives matter whoever if if you desecrate and and storm the U.S. Capitol, then the biggest book that's available should be tossed. I agree. Yeah, in fact, I, I've often wondered if, if it had been Black Lives Matter storming the Capitol, how many of them would have been alive at the end of the yeah. process? Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, Black Lives Matter and the chief and a chief uh, Antifa, they they still are searching through the the. Um, videos and everything else trying to figure out exactly who these people were that actually stormed the Capitol. And I don't think well, they know. They identified about four. They got charges against about 400 of them, don't they? Yeah. I believe yep. 400 were right. I've heard yep. 400 is a I, common number. Yep. Well, I, well I, I think they have a, I think at this point, uh, the FBI and all of the allies law enforcement uh, agencies at the federal level. I think they have a pretty good profile. Oh, I'm sure they do. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I, I think at this point, I'm sure they do. And, yeah, you know, yeah, I yeah. and I even hate, I hate to say this, like you had, you hated to say this about BLM, but I hate to say this, but we actually have a gubernatorial candidate on the Republican side that was actually there and was encouraging people to do that. And to go into the Capitol. Oh, there were there were there were so many people from, uh, and I, I'm making it maybe sound like too many, but there were a significant number of people from law enforcement, from elected positions, from you know state legislatures uh, in the area, and and um, 
and others. Yeah. And yeah, even, but breaking, breaking into the Capitol was just plain wrong. That's not what it's there for. That's not what these protests are about. Um, and to have somebody that is running for governor of our state to actually be on video being shown, getting these people and encouraging them to go ahead and break in and, you know, get into the Capitol and that kind of stuff, um, the GOP should flat out say no to this guy. I'm sorry. No, Earl, can I just say this yeah. real quick? That, that, yeah. You know, that, that for me, I, I have enough uh, confidence in the Republican Party that that guy doesn't frighten me. I, I don't get a, a kind of a nervousness, nervousness in my stomach about the prospect of him being elected governor of Michigan. I, 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 but here, here's, here's what does cause me to, to have a little nervousness is the number of, of police personnel that were there. Yeah, that's, because, that's troubling. Because, yeah. see, because yeah. that's for, for, for a black guy who uh, drives around or who's in different parts of the state or whatever the case may be, who has nephews and cousins who are male, and then I look at what just happened in Brooklyn, uh, Minnesota. So, mm-hmm. so you, you can you can see that creates more concern for me than that guy who's running for governor because I don't think he's going anywhere. But that guy okay. who is is a police officer, retired or not, and there were a lot of them there, a lot of them from all over. I I, right. I know what that says that says that. We have a systemic problem, and it, and it boiled over on January 6th when someone had, a group of people had the audacity to trash the citadel of democracy in America. I mean, the world, the world, the world was looking at us saying, we don't believe that could happen in America. It's one thing to march and carry a sign. It's it's another thing to, you know, storm the Capitol and build a uh, a gallows. Yeah, yeah, build a gallows and have have uh, the 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 handcuff ties available and and threaten to kill the vice president. And I'm not I'm there. not entirely sure I would have gone along with throwing tea in the harbor. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, uh, here's here's another source of pride for uh, our home state of Michigan. On Friday, five of the nation's top 15 counties in per capita coronavirus cases were in Michigan's thumb. St. Clair, Huron, Sanilac, Tuscola, and Lapeer. Collectively, the five counties have reported 3,000, over 3,000 new cases of COVID-19 in the last seven days, a per capita daily rate of 1,216 cases per uh, million residents, six times the national average, and eight times the benchmark for the state's highest risk level of 150 cases per million residents. The region also has an eye-popping 32% positivity rate as a seven-day on uh, coronavirus diagnostic tests more than six times the level considered safe and fanning the flames is widespread resistance among local residents to coronavirus mitigation strategies such as masking and avoiding indoor gatherings said uh, Bryant Wilkie, Sanilac County Public Health Director. Thumb residents like many in Michigan 
are thoroughly sick of more than a year of various coronavirus restrictions. They are ready to move on whether the pandemic is over or not. The question then becomes um, if, if uh, compliance with, uh, if not mandated, recommended precautions um, is, is difficult to achieve, can vaccination overtake COVID-19 despite resistance to precautions by a public that's suffering from pandemic fatigue? Unfortunately, what I've seen is, unfortunately, there's resistance to the vaccinations in some of those areas, particularly the thumb and some of the, the northern parts of Michigan. That I saw a story the other day that indicated that there were appointments going unfilled and, and plenty of vaccines around, but people just weren't showing up because they were either suspicious of it or didn't believe in it or whatever the reason might have been. But uh, unfortunately, in those parts of the state, there's resistance to getting the vaccine. And my question is, the numbers that they're coming up with here, especially here in Michigan, is how are they getting these numbers? See, this is where we're not being told everything. Is it a blood test? Is it a nasal swab? Um, where are they getting all of these positive tests from? And with COVID being so easily transmitted and going around, it's, you know, you go in, gee, did I have, did I have COVID? You go in, you get tested, and it comes back, oh, yes, you did have it. And these people have never had symptoms or anything else, but their number just went on the list, and it keeps increasing and increasing. Well, the more people you test, is <laughs> it, it's uh, kind of obvious, the more you test, the more you're probably going to find, because it's a virus. The you're not going to stop the virus from going through a mask. You're going to stop the droplets that come out of your nose or mouth, yes, but the virus can still be airborne and still travel. It's not going to stop it. Um, and everybody who's not been tested is probably positive, and those numbers are just going to keep climbing and make us look even worse. My and, other question and is, is how... we've learned that the, the virus uh, sticks to surfaces, which in the very beginning yeah. we didn't think. Right. Right. My other question there is, okay, Michigan right now is, is supposedly, you know, we're the worst. Well, are we doing more testing than any other state? Is it like PFAS? Michigan is the worst PFAS state in the country. Well, is that because we test more because we have 20% of the world's free fresh water here and we need to keep the PFAS out of it? And are the other states not testing as much as us? See, they're not giving us all the information as to where these results are coming from. And that's part of the problem that I see Whitmer and everybody else, like we were talking earlier, she's not putting out the science out there. Well, she's not telling the general public where are they getting these numbers from and how is it compared to other states in the country. Yeah, that's 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 a fair point, and, and I especially uh, agree with the idea the more you test, the more you find. Um, but uh, we need to take a break here, and we'll come back and talk some more. Plus, we're going to look at some things going on in Washington during the next segment. If you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 FM, they are a broadcast service of the uh, Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. And we're going to let them squeeze in a few words uh, or do whatever they do 
when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And good news, our archive is back up and running, so if you want to go back and listen to uh, older interviews, check us out at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. And if you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. 
Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back. We continue now with our uh, weekly political roundtable known as Armchair Politics. We have uh, uh, Earl Lackey is with us this week, sitting in for Henry Hatter, and uh, along with Paul Rosicki in uh, rounding out the uh, roundtable, we have Woodrow Stanley as well. Welcome back, everybody. Um, Despite Governor Gretchen Whitmer's plea Friday morning to the uh, Biden administration for a surge of COVID-19 vaccines to Michigan, the federal government said it will not send any extra doses to the state, which is struggling with worst-in-the-nation rates of infection and hospitalizations. Um, The uh, COVID-19 response coordinator, uh, Jeff Zients, I think, Zients, Zients, said this pandemic has hit every state and every county hard. Um, Do you think a blanket rollout is the way to go, or should the rollout be adjusted or designed to put out fires in surge areas? I'm going to go with the blanket rollout simply because uh, when this all started, um, Como in New York was screaming, crying, and complaining that they didn't have enough uh, ventilators. He wanted thirty to 40,000 ventilators, and President Trump at the time sent 9,000. We found out months later, even part of that 9,000 ventilators that they did get were in storage. They're crying wolf. Um, and at this point, roll out the vaccine, let's make it blanket, let's make it even for everybody, and each state needs to take care of their own and do it do it themselves instead of you know crying wolf and saying yeah well we've got a fire here we need more water well the other states have got fires too don't get so much water at any given time so i would say just go with the blanket and be fair to everybody across the board I was going to ask the question, is, 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 is there a great shortage of vaccines here? Again, as I said, I've seen the story where certainly in, in the southeastern part of the state there might be, but up in other parts of the state they have almost a surplus where they're, they've got to encourage people to show up to get their vaccines. So I, I really don't know what the numbers are, but I wonder if we really do have a, a shortage of vaccines or simply a, a, a shortage of people who are willing to get the shot. Well, and it and that that number is is difficult to track because some of those areas um, are are having a difficult time getting people to take the shots. So they're sending yeah. the vaccines that they need to get everybody uh, vaccinated, but the people aren't showing up. So then they're sitting on vaccines. Well, yeah, up here in the up in the north, there we saw the the advertisement. The signs were out. Uh, the National Guard was there um, in town at the hall giving out the vaccines, and it was supposed to be like a one-time thing, and they had the people coming in and stuff like that. But as you know, in the north, people are, are balking at it. Well, they had so few people come and get it that they actually set up to do it a second time. Okay, after the second time, in my opinion, if you still have surplus, but say down in Detroit, 
they don't have any, take that surplus and ship it downstate. You know, take care, take care of the areas that may be running short. I'll have a lot more to say on it tomorrow after I get my second shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, Prince, okay. Prince Philip, the lifelong companion of Queen Elizabeth II and the longest-serving consort in British history. I love the way the BBC puts things. Um, died at the age of 99 on Friday, uh, which turns out to be just, just a few weeks before his 100th birthday. Yeah, too bad he couldn't have made it to 100. I know. Yeah, no kidding. In a statement, yeah. Buckingham Palace said, It is with deep sorrow that Her Majesty the Queen announces the death of her beloved husband, His Royal Highness Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh. His Royal Highness passed away peacefully at Windsor Castle. Further announcements will be made in due course. The royal family uh, join with people around the world in mourning his loss. The death of the Duke comes after a period of poor health. He spent a month in two London hospitals where he was treated for an infection and underwent heart surgery before being charged or discharged in mid-March. Philip's funeral will be held at St. George's Chapel at Windsor Castle in line with custom and with His Royal Highness's wishes. The College of Arms, which oversees many ceremonial aspects of the royal family's work, said in a statement Friday. The statement added that the Duke would not have a state funeral and that the funeral would not be preceded by a lying in state. The funeral arrangements have been revised in view of the prevailing circumstances arising from the COVID-19 pandemic, and it is regretfully requested that members of the public do not attempt to attend or participate in any of the events that make up the funeral, the statement added. Does no state funeral mean no heads of state? Hmm. That's my understanding. Pomp and circumstance, all of, yeah, yeah, all of the pomp and stuff. I mean, this I, is, and I, this is, I, you know, I would have to go along with the with the uh, royal family's wishes as to what they want. You know, as you probably, as Tom, as you know, I just went through some instances here recently um, with friends that, uh, uh, as far as the the death and the funeral and everything is concerned. Um, we need to honor and respect the family's wishes. And if that's what they want, that's what they get. Well, it's, it's, it's going to end up with, a, uh, with at least a paragraph in the, in the history books uh, because of what didn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, that may have been part of his wishes, too, that he did not as we put it, want all the pomp and circumstances around his death. He just wanted, you know, <laughs> wanted it nice and peaceful and quiet with the family and call it a day. You know, I was, I was tempted to um, get a hold of a guest I had on the, on the show a few years ago who um, was, uh, well, he's literally, Darren McGrady, uh, McGrady is his name, and he's, literally billed as the royal chef he he was at buckingham palace as the chef for a while and he left there with princess diana when uh the princess uh william and harry were young boys and and growing up and it was a fun interview because he told the funniest story about uh, princess diana taking the boys um and she said uh 
you know, chef, we're we're going over to McDonald's. And he said, well, <laughs> princess, I can make the boys a hamburger. And she said, it's for the toys. And I, and I, <laughs> That's right. And I thought, what? Got to get those Happy Meals. <laughs> but he just, I, I was tempted to, to try to reach out to him and have him on the show to reminisce a little bit about Prince Philip. Uh-huh. Because he posted a picture of him and Prince Philip uh, tending the barbecue. And it, uh-huh. apparently there were moments when when the prince would kind of push the chef aside and say no no I, i've got this <laughs> i'm gonna work the barbecue um that's cool but anyway I, I learned a lot about his past history i didn't know how he was forced out of greece as, as a kid and rather tumultuous family history before he he became the prince it was uh, I, I learned that this past week as i saw some of the the programming on, on his life and uh he married elizabeth i think right after world war ii and about five years before she became queen yeah yes yeah yep. they knew each other before he went to war yep well back to uh <laughs> u.s royalty <laughs> which is which is maybe raising them up a little higher than i should but House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on Tuesday formally invited President Joe Biden to address lawmakers in a joint session of Congress later this month. Pelosi wrote in a letter to Biden that she was inviting him to speak to Congress on April 28th to share your vision for addressing the challenges and opportunities of this historic moment. The address would mark Biden's first remarks to both chambers as president and would come as his administration continues to respond to the coronavirus pandemic and to pitch lawmakers on his massive infrastructure proposal. Uh, Pelosi had said earlier this month that she was waiting to make a decision on extending an invitation to Biden amid concerns over the pandemic noting that it would come in consultation with the Capitol attending physician. President Donald Trump's final State of the Union address was delivered just before the pandemic took hold in the U.S., and his first address to a joint session of Congress was given in late February of 2017. Barack Obama, meanwhile, gave his first presidential uh, address to a joint session in February of 2009. Who do you think will be selected as uh, designated survivor? Uh, uh, mm. That's taken on a little bit more importance, maybe, in the wake of what happened January 6th. Yeah. I haven't thought about that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Well... I, I, I don't know. I really go. I, I'm just trying to roll through the names of the cabinet. I don't really know. Yeah, where they I go. I I can't uh, think of a lot of the cabinet uh, officers' names. <laughs> you know. Um, well, you know, there are a couple that that we're familiar <laughs> with. The uh, attorney general, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, Buddha judge, maybe. I don't know. It's, it's, it's possible. Mm-hmm. Candidate. Anyway, yeah. fun, fun to think AOC? about. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I imagine there are some White House staffers that are, you know, really considering this question hard because of what happened January 6th. Hmm. 
It, it isn't just pick the guy that you really don't care if he's there or not. <laughs> how, about, how about Jennifer Granholm? That would be an interesting choice. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, former Republican House Speaker John Boehner said Tuesday that former President Donald Trump abused the loyalty and trust placed in him by his voters when he pushed falsehoods about the 2020 election. I just kept waiting for evidence to show up. The president was out there every day talking about the election being stolen. They're filing lawsuits. I'm waiting for the evidence. Uh, Boehner told CNN's Jake Tapper on the lead. And sadly, no evidence ever showed up, and I think the president abused the loyalty and trust that his voters have placed in him by not being honest with the American people about the outcome. The comments from Boehner come the same day that the Ohio Republican released his new book, On the House, a Washington memoir. In it, the former speaker offers his take on the Republican Party in the age of Trump, writing that the party is now under total control of the former president and that he's not sure he still belongs in its current iteration. My question is, and and other Republicans have said similar things, would former presidents Reagan and the Bushes be welcome in the Trump Republican Party? I'm not so sure. Yeah, I think Reagan would. Bush, maybe not. Yeah, but even Reagan, I wonder whether or not he would. Uh, he might, but I, I, I even wonder whether or not he would. He would make the cut if, if it was Trump's call. Um, I was struck in Boehner's book about about the way he took out after Ted Cruz. I've I can never recall a member of Congress saying this saying things about another member of Congress that that Boehner said about Cruz. He was just totally vicious about his, his dismissal of Ted Cruz. Of course, now we all remember uh, Boehner as uh, as speaker and and uh, his position related to Barack Obama. Uh, oh yeah, uh, he was not. Uh, he didn't go high at all. That's for sure. So That's for sure. I, I, clearly, I know what he's doing. He's 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 trying to sell books. You know, <laughs> it's a it's a shame that the best way to to sell books is to slam people. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. that's that's what rhinos do. <laughs> you know, if you can't better yourself um, degrade the other guy and that's generally never a good thing and you know and, and it happens in politics all too often all too much but sometimes it has to be done to put the facts out there if you're just talking somebody down just to talk them down that's one thing but if it's a fact well the people need to know you know they that it needs to be put out there Mm-hmm. Well, moving on, the financial future of the National Rifle Association is playing out in a contentious battle in a Texas courtroom. The country's largest gun lobbying group is hoping a federal judge will grant it bankruptcy protection, allowing the NRA to reincorporate as a Texas nonprofit. This follows the group's announcement in January that it was leaving New York to exit, quote, a corrupt political and regulatory environment. A judge is expected to rule in the case next week. In an announcement earlier this year, the NRA said it was in its strongest financial condition in years. 
but the restructuring will help to streamline costs and expenses. New York prosecutors say the Chapter 11 announcement is just a ploy for the organization and its leadership, including CEO Wayne LaPierre, to evade the legal troubles brought on by a recent lawsuit filed by New York Attorney General Letitia James. Um, aside from the fact that, that I have a tough time reading, uh, you know, applying for Chapter 11 and strong financial condition in the same story, um, does <laughs> does success await in Texas, or is the NRA headed for the Alamo? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, Good question. Yeah. Yeah. Boy. Um, uh, I just have a gut reaction. My hunch is they'll be around as a lobbying forum in some way, probably. Maybe they'll even rename themselves or restructure. But I, uh, as I say, I've always seen them more as a lobbying forum for the gun manufacturers than the gun owners. And I suspect there'll be a similar group around for a while. And and that's and that's a position that they evolved into over time. Yeah, well, that's true. They, they used to be a hobby group back in the you know they were a hunting and fishing group back in the fifties and sixties, I guess, earlier in their years, and they and they became this you know this big power lobbying firm in, in D.C. On, on gun rights and Second Amendment. And as I say, I, I I've seen it much more as the the gun manufacturers lobbying group than than. The, the gun hobbyists. Well, without the gun manufacturers, you won't have gun lobbyists or owners. So it, it, it's a trickle-down effect there. But I don't see the NRA going away anytime soon. Like you said, um, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't see the Alamo happening. They may restructure, recall them, or call themselves something else. But I really do not see the NRA going anywhere. Um, if they really get in that bad of shape, um, like they have done before, they will put out a massive campaign to collect funds and get lobbyists to jump in and jump on board with them. Hmm. Isn't there a number, another group of, of gun owners, somewhat that considers itself somewhat to the right of the NRA? I've forgotten their name, but I thought I saw some mention of them in an article in the past that there's another gun owners group considered a bit more conservative, ironically than the NRA, if anybody's got the information on that. Yeah, I, that's not ringing a bell, Paul. I, I'll have to do yeah. a little digging on that. I'm familiar it with the Givers Group, but, uh, yeah. which is, you know, gun owners that are advocating for, you know, sensible gun regulations. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, President Joe Biden, having concluded there is no military solution to the security and political problems plaguing Afghanistan and determined to focus on more pressing national security challenges, will formally uh, announce that U.S. troops will withdraw from the country before the 20th anniversary of the September 11th terror attacks, a senior administration official said. The withdrawal extends the U.S. troop presence passed a May 1st deadline set by the Trump administration in an agreement with the Taliban, but only by a matter of months. Biden has been weighing the decision for months with his advisors and signaled he did not believe U.S. troops should remain in the country uh, long past the deadline. Is this reminiscent of when the Russians left Afghanistan? <laughs> um, 
you kind of wonder. Afghanistan's been called the uh, the death of the, the place for the death of empires, and the Russians are going to learn some hard lessons there, and other other nations have in earlier years too. So I got mixed feelings about it because the Taliban may well take over again, but yeah. after twenty years, yeah. That that would be my concern of pulling all of our troops out of that that region, you know, Afghanistan, being center of attention for this topic. Isn't is it, the isn't it troubling? Taking back over. Isn't it troubling that here we are, twenty years later, and it it seems like we have no and never did have no um, clear objective. Very troubling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, saw, twenty I saw years. The casualty counts. Uh, we we spent two trillion dollars there in the last twenty years, and I forgotten was it twenty five hundred Americans lost. I'm not sure if my numbers are correct. I saw it last night in some news. And something like forty four thousand civilians. Yeah, yep. that's right. That's right. Yep. You know, we're, we are supposedly the world's big brother here, and we're helping everybody out, you know, $2 trillion over there. But I still believe in the fact that if you don't cover your own butt first, you can't cover anybody else's. And we've got problems here at home. Okay, bring the troops back. Let's take care of our problems here at home. You know, how many homeless people do we have? I mean, the lines for food, like in Flint, and bring it up, um, just for people to get food because of this whole COVID thing um, are around the block. We need to take care of our people first. Well, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what what happens in that region, you know, as those troops are, are withdrawn. Yeah. Yeah, no, I say that, that, it's, it's got to be worrisome, but as I say, after 20 years, not too much has changed. Well, if we, if we can turn around and, and say, okay, take the regular troops out, but let's put people in there that can do a lot of training for, for the Afghans themselves. And I know we've been doing it, but I think that's where yeah. we need to step up. We don't need to step up armed troops. We need to step up the help that they need to maintain their own country because, yeah, if we pull out and we don't do that and don't have their own army set up to take over, our troops are pulling back. Yeah, the Taliban's just going to go, oh, free me, and they're going to walk in and take over. The whole region will backslide 20 years. Yep. And we all know from the Bible that that is basically where World War Three is going to start. So if we can prevent World War Three from starting in the east over there, you know, we need to do it, or we're all in trouble. Well, I had one more piece I wanted to um, get into, and maybe if there's time toward the uh, the end of the hour, we'll we'll squeeze it in after the X Files. But we have a we have a okay. break coming up here in just a moment, and uh, when we come back, I'll have my my favorite part of the show always is the the last segment of the show when we do the X Files, which are those weird and wacky stories that um, <laughs> that that often seem like they're probably not true, but they are. And even though sometimes it's hard to tell the regular headlines from the X Files. Um, <laughs> 
I, I, I do my best to sort them out. Uh, anyway, we're going to take a short break, let our bar broadcast partner squeeze a few words in and uh, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com we have some messages as well and uh, I guess don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse the X-Files is coming up right after this Hey! <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic and guess what, you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now and now, and now too, and even now Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Sterling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The Unknown Comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. 
Your trip begins at Michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome back, everybody, as we uh, get into our final segment of today's Tom Sumner program and armchair politics. We have uh, those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. Um, and, and starting out, uh, about two dozen monkeys broke out of a southwestern German zoo and spent the day lolling in the sun near a forest before being recaptured, authorities said Thursday. Um, the... Uh, the monkeys, commonly known as Barbary apes, escaped from the zoo in Lofingen, southwest of Stuttgart, and not far from the Swiss border. It was not entirely clear how they got away, but construction work at the zoo might have been a factor, police said. The primates were spotted roaming the area in a pack, but zoo employees were unable to recapture them and eventually lost track of them. A few hours later, they were spotted, recaptured, and returned to their cages without incident, police said. The animals apparently took advantage of the nice weather and spent the afternoon on the edge of a forest near the zoo, police said. Does it occur to anyone else these monkeys are getting out and socializing more than I am? <laughs> That's right. No, no lockdown for the monkeys. <laughs> They got tired of taking their vitamin D pills, Tom. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> here's here's another uh, another animal feature. Police say one of the world's biggest bunnies has been stolen from its home in central England. Darius, a continental giant rabbit, disappeared from his enclosure in a backyard in the village of Stolton over the weekend, uh, according to police. They did not elaborate on why they thought it was a theft instead of an escape. The force uh, appealed for any information about or sightings of Darius, who is gray-brown and 129 centimeters or 4 feet 3 inches long at full stretch. <laughs> he holds the Guinness World Record citation for the world's longest rabbit. Rabbits of his type are known to weigh about 15 to 20 pounds. Owner Annette Edwards, a large rabbit breeder and model, urged the culprit or culprits to return Darius to his home 100 miles northwest of London, saying it was a very sad day. She initially offered a thousand pounds, or about thirteen hundred and seventy dollars, for a reward, uh, but uh, upped it 
uh, in a tweet Tuesday saying, please, please, I am so upset. Can you bring my Darius back? I am putting the reward up to 2,000 pounds or $2,748. Um, despite what the police think, I'm wondering, who would steal a four-foot rabbit? Somebody near the Easter Bunny. <laughs> and I don't think I could have resisted naming him Harvey. <laughs> well, the oh. University of Kentucky mistakenly sent or acceptance emails to 500,000 high school seniors for a program that usually ac accepts about three dozen students a year. The school followed up with another email less than 24 hours later and apologized for its mistake, citing a technical issue. <laughs> I'll say. The acceptance was uh, for this fall in the Clinical Leadership and Management Program in the College of Health Sciences. Mary Doherty, a senior from San Antonio, Texas, received the email. I was like, Mom, I just got accepted into the University of Kentucky. And she's like, oh, I didn't know you applied to University of Kentucky. And I was like, I didn't. <laughs> Other students said they never applied to uh, University of Kentucky. Uh, was at Kentucky, uh, visited or even went on its website. Um, one said, I had to Google it just to make sure it was a real college because, like, I've never heard of them, said Aaron Esping, <laughs> a senior from Georgia. How would a college, even with a large campus, practice social distancing with a half million students? Uh, <laughs> not very easily. Yeah. Not very easily. Not effectively. Well, that wraps it up for uh, the X-Files on today's edition of Armchair Politics. Uh, and and we do have uh, a couple of minutes left, and I, I, I want to bring up a, a couple of things. One, um, Bobby Walton uh, called during the break, and, uh, and she's going to be joining the roundtable next week, by the way. Um, and said in our discussion of uh, President Biden pulling troops out of Afghanistan that she was wondering if, if one of the uh, reasons for staying in Afghanistan was so um, dragged out so long was because of access to Pakistan. Hmm. Yeah, it, it could be. I mean, that's, but I say Afghanistan has been proven to be a stumbling block for so many out, so, so many foreign powers over the centuries. That uh, and and are our relations good enough with India to to serve the same function? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but here's here's a piece I missed, and I think we've got just enough time to uh, squeeze it in if I can find it uh, quickly. Um, oh yeah, President Joe Biden spoke with Russian President Vladimir Putin yesterday and proposed a meeting in a third country in the coming months as tensions between Russia and Ukraine rise in Eastern Europe. According to a White House statement about the call, Biden and Putin discussed arms control and, and emerging security issues. Biden also called on Russia to de-escalate tensions in Ukraine. The White House statement said Biden emphasized the United States' unwavering commitment to Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity and voiced concerns over the sudden Russian military buildup in occupied Crimea and on Ukraine's borders. 
Uh, a Kremlin statement on the call released later on Tuesday said when exchanging views on the internal Ukrainian crisis, Vladimir Putin outlined approaches to a political settlement based on the Minsk package of measures. The package refers to a ceasefire agreement on conflicts in eastern Ukraine reached in 2015. How will U.S.-Russia relations be different under President Biden compared with President Trump? we got about two minutes. Well, I think the whole tone is going to be different. I mean, it was there was almost a love fest with Trump and Putin, and I think it, it may be more realistic politics in one sense, too, but I think that it'll... It'll be uh, more formal than we have seen in the past, is my guess. I, w- I would say businesslike would be my characterization. Yeah. Father's time was what I consider with Trump and Putin. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with you guys on, on that one. As, as far as the relationship between Trump and Putin, it was, you know, um, glad handshakes and, and backslaps. But as far as Biden is concerned, um, I think we're going to see more uh, stiff neck um, type of actions out of out of both of them. Uh, I think Putin is going to go ahead and do what Putin wants to do, no matter what. Where he didn't Trump, so this uh, this will be interesting. It remains to be seen. Yeah. Well, that wraps it up for uh, today's edition of uh, Armchair Politics, and, and I want to give a, a special thank you to Earl Lackey for sitting in today with, uh, for uh, Henry Hatter, rather, and, and tending the right. I, I was not looking forward to a show with um, primarily left-leaning pundits. <laughs> anytime, Tom, anytime. Paul Wood, it was great. Let's do this again. This this yes, isn't sir. after all this is heavy here, Earl. I appreciate it. This isn't MSNBC, um, <laughs> and uh, and Wood. It's always a pleasure to have you join the roundtable. Thank you so much, my friend, Woodrow Stanley. Enjoyed it. Would you tell Henry that Earl was an upgrade? <laughs> I don't want him to lose his job, boy. And, and, I, no, uh, and I'll do it sometime when I'm cutting him off to go to break. Actually, Henry Henry had uh, had another commitment, and uh, and and it extends to uh, next Wednesday as well. But he will be back with us at the roundtable in two weeks. Next week, Mark Everson will be sitting in for Henry, and uh, Bobby Clayton Walton will be be here. And of course, always you can always count on Paul. He's always there. (laughs) Paul Paul Rosicki, thank you so much. All right, thanks, guys. Thank you. And thanks to my guest earlier this morning, uh, Brian Deere from the U.K., about his book, uh, The Doctor Who Fooled the World. That's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I'll be sneaking out this afternoon and getting my second vaccination, so I won't be half-vaxxed anymore. Anyway, I will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program at 9 o'clock. In the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. 
most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.